As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back, everybody, to the Hold That Podcast podcast. It has been a minute. I am your host, Chris Branch, along with our other host, Brody Miller. Brody, how are you? I am doing well. We are back after, what, a two-week hiatus, I believe. And yes. pretty much, I believe, not as much for you, but pretty much like a little vacation. Um, definitely no, a vacation No, I haven't taken a day off because I'm a, I'm, I'm a hard worker. Yeah, you are a hard worker. But you did get, like, kind of married, you know, since our last podcast, Yeah, that was cool. So... Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, no, I, we, I'm great. We hung out in person for that. Yes, we did. We did not record there. We are sorry. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no. So, I am doing well. Also, um, yeah, there's a bowl game tomorrow. And, like, just feels like, I don't know, I'm, I'm ready to get back to work, talk football, watch football, all that, after being kind of burnt out through, through mid-December. So, I'm back to caring, guys. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So, what we're going to talk, we're talking today we're talking about staff changes because the staff is like now 90% done after we were just kind of sitting there lying and wait for a few weeks. Uh, and then yes, there is a bowl game and who the hell knows what to expect. That's what I want you to tell me later because I, I among all the fan base don't know what the, the hell is going to go on. So I'm excited, but first I feel like we have to talk about my graduated sons and now you can be a non-objective journalist about certain players like Joseph Burrow and Jamar Chase. How does that <laughs> Kinda. feel? Yeah, it, it's still weird. I mean, let's yeah. I think a lot of our listeners know I, I was raised a Bengals fan my whole life, which has been just all nothing but utter pain and sadness <laughs> and getting laughed at. And yeah, so that yesterday was a pretty dope day, but. Of course, the two guys who stole the show are two guys I covered rather intimately at LSU. And that was Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, man. I mean, that was like, I mean, it's not an exaggeration to say, like, it just feels like that is slowly becoming the next big, like, the next great connection. Not not to get over the top, but it really does. Like, the next great, I'm trying to think of the, I mean, obviously, like, your Montanas and Rices of the world. Like, it feels like it, it has a chance to be. Wow, that. you went you went Montana and Rice and not Young and Rice? I debated, actually. I literally, that's what that wow. pause was in my head. I, I, was, I love Steve Young. He's my favorite. But, um, but yeah, man, I mean, that was, and we talked about this a little before the show. Like, 
It actually remind that game, obviously, just for those who don't know, Bengals won the AFC North yesterday. Shocked probably the best team, maybe the best team in the league, and the Chiefs. The, 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 they're the best team in the league right now. It easily. Yeah, I, I think so. You, Packers may be after yesterday, but, like, yeah, I, yeah, I'm with you. I think the Chiefs are the best team. And they came back from 14-0 and, like, 28-17 in the final, in the fourth quarter. And I think what made it even bigger for LSU fans was the way it just felt like Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase kind of putting the team on their back and as things went on, I mean, it was it was a ride. You know what it reminded me, reminded me of was it reminded me of like I want to say like maybe even the Texas game, right? Where there was just games when they were at LSU where it was just even when things weren't working great, there would just be stretches where Joe would just like not even like in the offense, he would just throw it up to Jamar. Like it really felt like that. There would just be stretches where Jamar would just like catch five straight, just whoop his man and just mm-hmm. take over a game. I, I always used to write that it reminded me of like an ISO scorer in basketball who just goes off for like 20 <laughs> points in eight minutes. You know, like he just had that thing yeah. where he would just take over. That's what yesterday was, man. That was unreal. That was one of the best games I've ever seen a receiver play. I mean, just Jamar has this impossible ability and he, he had it at LSU and he now has it in the NFL against theoretically better corners of oh, yeah. making it look so easy to body the guy out the way, leave him in a grave and then like prance into an end zone and make it look like he's not even trying that hard. It's incredible. Like, I, you know, one of my favorite memories from the 2019 season in the moment that I actually believed that LSU was going to win the national title was when the, the first drive in Tuscaloosa, when Jamar like literally left Trayvon Diggs face planted in the end zone and just walked in because I didn't, as any LSU fan knows, I did not let myself actually hope until I saw LSU produce something against Alabama. And the fact that on the first possession, Jamar was like, you're my son. I'm going to son you all day. And this is my stadium. And I was like, okay, we're here. Like, I didn't know if we were going to win the game, but it was like, oh, we, we belong here. And Jamar is the best receiver in the country. And then he kept doing it the rest of the season. And now he has broken Justin Jefferson's single season rookie receiving record. And he did it with a game to go. Because now the NFL has 17 games, but so but he did yeah, it in the same he time did frame, the same amount. Yeah, no. Which, I mean, we, were, we were having a debate with some of my other like football friend fan friends who aren't Bengals fans. So they're unbiased, and they're like, "Where would you put Chase right now?" And like, literally, we're like, "I think he really is top five. Even that felt like a huge statement. He right? like, he's already top five. And then by the end of it, they were like, "I think he's number two. Like, I just think he's number. Like, they said Devonte Adams number one." And they're like, I think I put him too. And and I think Man. football's complicated. Like, I'm a big believer. Football's complicated. Like, Chase gets to be better because Boyd and Pickens also, you know, like it all. Uh, so I'm not sure I'm, like, going to flat out be that confident already that he's there. But, I mean, he – the way – and you're so right. There's something – it's bizarre because it's not like he's literally winning jump balls, right? Every now and then, sure. But it's not like he's jumping over people. He's he, bodying guys out the way. The guys yeah. don't have a chance. Yeah, he's stronger than people realize, and, like, he has this bizarre body control, and he knows how to time it, so, like, the DB's not quite mm-hmm. ready, you know? Like, is that a better way to put it? Like, it's like Absolutely. he's I mean, at he, the last second, so then the DB's just not ready for a ball coming, and then he catches it in the corner. Like, it's unreal. That third and 27, the, the, there the were The body control catches. is absurd. Yeah, I think that, the like, the, there were better catches in that game, but that third and 27 was just, like, pure clutch, like, I am the best in the league kind of football right there. Where it's just like, I'm just going to throw up a, a one-on-one to my guy on third and 27. And the obviously the, the biggest highlight of that game, though, was his, I forget the yardage, but that, that first touchdown where he just turned on the Jets. And I believe Next Gen Stats found him at 22 miles an hour. 
And that always goes back. I think it was, it was 70 plus was the yardage. And, um, you know, I was, I was telling you before, before our, we started recording that the only time I can remember him doing that at LSU was against Vanderbilt. And I was like, at the time, and like I said, this was before I truly let myself believe. And I was like, well, that's, that's Vanderbilt. Like they're trash. Like these guys, you know, he's running past accountants, which good for them. They're probably hedge funds managers by now, but (laughs) you know, Jamar is doing this past an NFL defense, an NFL defense who had been maligned earlier in the season and then absolutely put the clamps down in the last like seven weeks. So these aren't scrubs, you know. Oh, yeah. And Jamar literally is surrounded by five people and just finds a crease and he's gone. It was oh, it's just breathtaking. I'm so no, and, I, and to build on that, like. I, I always said, and while I agree, I think the Vanderbilt game's the only time we saw his Jets. I always said when people would ask, like, you know, like, what he's good at, because he's tricky, right? There's no, like, one obvious thing. But I, I always say I think his best skill is actually that he is weirdly built like a running back. like, And he really, his mm-hmm. best skill is that when he has the ball, he literally plays the position like a running back. Like, you know what I mean? Most time when yeah. a receiver gets it, it's I like a straight that. line thing. It's like he has this kind of like low shifty thing. And he even has like his patience with how he runs is kind of more like a running back. And he's so good at break. I used to have the stats in front of me. But in 2019, he had the highest like broken tackle percentage of like running backs. Like it was, it yeah. was wild. And I think that was another thing. We saw Saturday, both from the 70 Sunday, sorry, the 70 something yard touchdown. And remember that one screen where he just like had this unbelievable patience to just like wait three seconds just in the middle of traffic to wait for his line to catch up on the screen. And then he turned it into 11 yards like he just looks like it. I don't know. It's bizarre. And, and on top of all that, we haven't even mentioned how good Joe Burrow was back to back, like 400 plus yard games and the biggest games of his he's career. thrown for a thousand yards in in two weeks. In the two biggest games of his career, man, right? Because the Ravens game was yeah. pretty much going to decide the North, and then this was obviously an even bigger game. Like, that's unreal. Mm-hmm. So, yep. yeah, we'll move on, but we just wanted to touch on that because I know LSU fans probably want to hear about it. And also, like, as a Bengals fan, like, I, I obviously had to keep – I never rooted for Joe Burrow when he was at LSU because it's my job not to. But, man, now it's like this guy – I mean, I'd say other than Mahomes, if you're talking guys, like, for your future – it's like after Mahomes is he. I mean, Deshaun's amazing, but he's in a weird situation. Like, I think Herbert and Burrow is probably gonna be a back and forth for a long time, and I don't think it it's will. Done yet. It absolutely yeah. will be. I, yeah, it's gonna yin and yang. And, so I'm not saying he's and already before, better. Before before the last month, to be honest, you know, and it's it's funny that you get to be a fan now, and I have to be kind of um, <laughs> slightly objective about Joe and Jamar. I mean, not really, but like, yeah, you don't. You know, I I, I kind of have to write truthfully about everything and with yeah. the newsletter and. But it's cool that I get to pay attention and I have to pay, you know, it is my job to sit down and watch Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase ruin people's lives on Sunday. Um, But, you know, before, maybe a month ago, I mean, Joe was having a really good season, but Joe would turn in these games where he, you know, the the Bengals might win, but he's throwing for 195 yards. Like, you know, it's that weird NFL quarterback vortex where, you know, we're doing what we can to win and you're winning, you know, 21-13. And ju- meanwhile, on the other side of the country, Justin Herbert is lighting people up for 370, 410, like making 65-yard throws look easy, which he's still doing. And then yeah, he does Herbert starts stuff, struggling. Make no mistake. It's it's true Mahomes stuff. But Herbert starts struggling, and then all of a sudden Burrow is like, oh, yeah, I think I'm the best quarterback in the NFL. And he's played like at the last four weeks. And it's just, it's just so cool to see all these guys that were on the 2019 team that was – a little it's almost become i feel like non-lsu people on the internet are like i'm tired of y'all talking about how good they are 
and then now we can be like, but we were right. Like, I mean, this this team is gonna go down like the 2011 Miami team is. You know, like you still see all the guys from the team. I, oh, yeah. I, I last last thing before we move on to actual LSU stuff. Here's the receiving leaders in the NFL by yardage. Cooper Cup, 1,800 yards. Absurd. Number two, Justin Jefferson, 1,509. Jeez, Number three, goes. Devontae Adams, 1,498. Number four, Jamar Chase, 1,429. Jamar has 13 touchdowns. Uh, that's only, I think that's second to Cooper Cup. Second to Cooper Cup's 15. And I, I mean, it's just like. The 2019 team had two of the top five wide receivers in the NFL right now on there, and arguably a top, let's say, eight quarterback. I'm sure yeah. that a lot of people would would do theses on how I'm wrong if I said Joe Burrow's a top five quarterback. Joe's playing like a top five quarterback <laughs> yeah, right now. Well put. Yeah. So no. anyway, it's just it's just so cool to see, and especially in a in a very weird transitional time for LSU. Where I mean, you, you say oh, people aren't Bengals fans. Like we're all most of us are Saints fans, but the Saints are kind of bad, and it's so nice to see like these uh, shining beacons of joy in our life uh, together and celebrating and really just dropping their nuts all over people. It's all it's amazing. So good for yes. Joe. Good for Jamar. They were they were getting the gat in the locker room. Um, Joe took some incredible photos. Uh, the entire league is now smitten with Joe again. Um, it's a fun time. Uh, I have a lot of hopes that they will at least win one playoff game, right? It's good. I mean, the AFC is just tough, right? Because like, the NFC is yes. like, more teams that you know you trust, but like I don't know if they all have the same upside. While the AFC is like six teams that you don't know for sure you can trust any week, but like their upside is mm-hmm. actually better. Like, so yes. I don't know, like they're probably going to be playing like the Colts or the Patriots or something in a playoff game. And it's like, that's neither of the, if the Colts are clicking, they're as good as anyone. So like, I don't know. I, I, I don't think there's any easy games in the AFC unless it's maybe like the Raiders or something. We'll see. I mean, we'll see if the saints make the playoffs, but I think if the saints miss it, um, we're going to turn into bingo South real quick. So we'll, we'll all be with you, Brody. Um, Birdie, let's get to actual LSU things. Let's talk staff. And I think we should talk about yeah. we should talk about the staff first because that is a more permanent thing. I think um our wild card bowl game will be very fun. But the two biggest hires that have happened since we last talked were both coordinator hires. Matt House, who I had no idea who he was before the news announced, but when I did my research on him, seems like he's legit. Coached a lot of good guys at Kentucky. And Tyron Matthew loves him, so I love him. Uh, can you tell me a little more about why I should love Matt House or what I should be looking for? Yeah, I think Matt House kind of checks a ton of boxes in a lot of ways. Even if it's not like I'm not going to sit here and pretend I could give you a breakdown on Matt House's scheme, but I, I almost I always phrase it this way to people who ask, like, okay, LSU went for Brad White, right, the DC at mm-hmm. at Kentucky currently, and obviously that didn't work out for whatever reason. He's staying in Kentucky. Well, they went for Matt House and I mean Brad White, and instead they're getting the guy who built the even better defense in 2018, the team that won 10 games, like one of the best best season in Kentucky history, probably were one of them. Like he's the guy who actually built that defense with Mark Stoops, and then so you're basically getting Brad White, but now with three years of top level NFL experience too to add on to that, and you know winning a Super Bowl and, and all that. So 
I'm not saying like I know who's a literal better DC because I think sometimes when we do this stuff, we're lying. But I, I think that's probably the best way to spin it, right? Is you're actually getting Brad White, but but a better resume in some ways. So I think he's a guy who has been in many different kinds of schemes. He's been in three fours. He's been in four threes. He's been attacking and all those things. And I I, I was doing some research on him, and I also found that you know, we do our recruiting confidentials, right, across the athletic of different states. And and I think two of them I actually saw back in, like, in early years. They were talking about Kentucky with recruiting, and they were talking about how Matt House is really good at evaluation. They had, like, two different people mentioned, like, Matt House is one of the best at evaluating talent, which I think is mm-hmm. the most important thing to me, and I think the most brushed under the rug thing. People talk all the time about, you know, like, who gets the best recruits, but I think the evaluation part's bigger. And so I think that really helps his case. Now, the interesting thing to follow will be when he left after 2018, there was Mark Stoops had some comments basically alluding to, and I don't have them in front of me, but basically saying, talking about the lifestyle of being a college coach and how that's not for everybody. And he was basically talking about, like, some people don't want to text teenagers all day. You know, it's the Joe Brady thing. Some people don't want Mm -hmm. that to be their whole life is recruiting. So you do have to, like, wonder that, you know, but at the same time, he also has a large background in being a great recruiter. So I don't think you should sweat that necessarily. But anyway, yeah. Well, yeah, that's great. Um, and it all tracks. I mean, I feel like I, I, I had some friends express worries about the recruiting, and I'm not really worried. I mean, I think LSU is attractive as it is, and I think it's easy to have good recruiters here. We are, Like, let's not forget we have Frank Wilson in tow. Like, that's it's a big dog. Um, I'm curious, though. How, like, is there any connection between Brian and Matt? Like, you know, <laughs> when I was looking into it, they, they, they never really overlap much. I'm just, I'm just wondering how they found each other. Yeah, well, one, yeah, I mean, I think most coaches know each other. But I think right. there's something notable, I would just say, in the fact that both, okay, first there was a lot of rumors that Mark Stoops was something of a backup plan for LSU at head coach, right? That was something that mm-hmm. Bruce and I have both yep. reported, and it, and it kind of seemed that way. Then you go to the fact that they next went for Brad White at D.C., and now they end up with Matt House. So am I going to sit here and <laughs> so pretend? we really want Kentucky. We need some Kentucky well, blue in here, huh? <laughs> there is a little something to probably wanting to get in that that Kentucky school right now, you know, just in terms of some of the stuff they're doing on defense, how they find a way to kind of neutralize talent gaps and all those things. And and I think there's something to that. Also, I don't think it should be ignored. I'm pretty sure all three of those people I just mentioned are all Jimmy Sexton clients. So, you know, there might be mm. another tie there. Okay. Not, that's me speculating. But, um, yeah, so I, I think that's, you know, it's as simple as that to some extent. You know, there has been the Kentucky tie and all that. But also, I just think, like, you know, they all know who the good coaches are. Like, they've all been in coaching right. for 20 years, 30 years together. So, I think Matt House is a respected guy. I mean, t- Tennessee and Auburn, I believe, both kind of poked around and went for him last year. And I believe he turned mm-hmm. both down just kind of looking at the situation. So, I think he's a guy who's been a little wow, picky. Suck it. <laughs> Jeez. So, yeah, I mean, Matt House <laughs> is one of the more respected DCs in the country. Like, I, I that isn't, like, a leap to say people think really highly of Matt House. He was on top of the world at you know, 2018, and he just chose to go the NFL route, and now he's going back to the the DC route. Like I said, if Tyron loves him, I love him, and it just seems like he can flat out coach. Like I, I know there might be some worries about recruiting, and I think we have to. But why? Why are there? Chill out about that. Like, yeah, people I, like, oversimplify recruiting sometimes. I think it's the 
like people are just like think everything's just so black and white. And it's like he was a really good recruiter. He's just been away from it for three years. Like he's still a good recruiter. I don't know why people are like worried about that. I also just I I mean here's the thing that I come back to, and this might be me. You know, I people who listen to the first episodes of this podcast know that I talk myself into LSU being a ten win team this year, but. I just have this confidence in Brian Kelly and the people he's hiring that it's going to be a well-coached football team and there's not going to be a lot of stupid stuff going on. There's not like, I feel like under Ed, especially the last two years, there's been so much inconsistency and so much, I don't know, unpredictability one might say. Oh yeah. And I have a feeling that it's not going to be that way. And when you pair like results, and we'll see, maybe LSU wins. I, w- I would hope the floor this year is nine games. Maybe that's me being a hopeful fan. If LSU wins nine or ten games this year and the defense plays well and the it's looking like it's fun, it's a good place to be, LSU's going to recruit itself. And, I know, and, and also, I know that there are people on staff who are great recruiters. So I'm not that worried. I think the, the floor is higher at LSU. I don't think LSU's going to be 15th or 20th or 25th in the country year over year with Brian Kelly in the recruiting class. It's just not going to happen. So... I'm pretty confident. Um, let's transition on that point because the only time that I have had legitimate worry this offseason was about our new offensive coordinator, Mike Denbrock. Can you tell me why I should not feel bad about him? Because right now, yeah, I don't feel great. No, and I don't blame you. I, I think my first just honest just like my honest read just from a distance right now is yeah it's a little underwhelming i don't think that that's i don't think that's a leap you know or unfair to say at the same time i think the way i would view and you touched on this a second ago i think it's the way i'd put almost a lot of the hires so far especially the top hires is i think we all and it's also something i talked about a ton during the search itself is we tend to fall in love with new cutting edge right like and by the way rightfully so like i mean yeah if you told me i could have lincoln riley's offense and him running it i would do it but we tend to love up and coming and new too much a little bit and sometimes we just forget who knows how to do things you know like some well i'd also like to i want to bolster your point there because it it happened for us we hired the young sexy guy and it brought us the best season we've ever seen so now we are spoiled and in a bad way. So I'm, I'm pointing out that you, you are correct <laughs> that we had Joe Brady and then he did that. And then like th- now we're, we're like, oh, my God, why aren't you getting Joe Brady again? Essentially. That's a good. So that's a good point. Yeah, keep keep going. Good. No, it's a good way to frame because it. it's like and I'm not even saying Mike Denbrock, you should be jumping. No, I actually have a lot of qualms with that hire. But I think sometimes it's just. I don't know. It's sometimes we just oversimplify things. And sometimes it's sometimes actually it's just like people are good coaches and it's complicated and it's you know how to run things. That's why like I was defending the idea of a stoops hire, even though it seems like that wasn't gonna happen in reality. It's sometimes you just know how to do things and we just focus so much on brilliance and like scheme and forward thinking. So my point is sorry to get to, I think so far there's a theme with a lot of the LSU staff so far. Uh Guys who know how to do this. In both, even the Brian Kelly hire a little bit. Brian Kelly is not sexy, but Brian Kelly knows how to run a program from top to bottom. Like that is something he has proven he knows how to do. So my guess is what you find the next year or two at LSU. I don't know if they're going to be the most forward thinking team, but I think the biggest thing for Scott Woodward was eliminating 
the mistakes, the incompetence, the lack of discipline, the things you've seen these last two years that are kind of mind-boggling to that really led to LSU becoming a program that going 11 and 11, which is just crazy. So I think you look at a house. That's a guy who knows how to run a defense. He knows how to coach. Brian Kelly knows how to run a program. And Mike Denbrock, sorry for this long thing. I think Mike Denbrock, th- yeah, was not a good showing against Alabama. Anyone saying he did, you know, you're probably lying. But I think he's somebody who has a long history of knowing how to run an offense. And I think people are being a little too hard on the on that game, the sugar um the sorry, the cotton ball, because that to me looked like a team getting bullied, you know, and that's not necessarily Denbrock. That's just the difference between power five and group of five, unfortunately. Because you look at any advanced metric, they're number 11 in offensive SP plus this year, which, by the way, is opponent adjusted. So it's not just like raw mm-hmm. stats that the group of five looks better. Um, right. He's top 10 in basically every success rate and explosiveness category. There's a lot of evidence he is, you know, a pretty creative play caller and all those things. Now, so my guess, my read on what this next year will be is. I think LSU's offense is going to be more steady. It is going to get better. It is going to be more well-rounded. Do I think when you go into the games against Alabama, are you going to again? Are you going to you know maybe be able to go toe to toe schematically with the best of the best? I don't know if he's going to do that. I don't. I really don't. I, I don't know if I would predict that. But I do think you will have a better offense, and to some extent, there is value in that. So that is my best way of looking at that how does that sound that's a good that that is a great breakdown and I'll, i will tell you that my my reaction to all this because we i mean we knew and and you and i had talked about it on here and it seemed like it was kind of it was clearly in the works for a long time before this game that mike was going to come and be lsu's offensive coordinator but mike. so we all we all knew to watch this game and we all knew to watch this game because a possible new oc is on one side uh our arch nemesis year after year is on the other side and let's see how he does and the thing was is that unlike the georgia michigan game which was never in doubt cincinnati's defense played its ass off in the first half of that game and i was like they are giving this offense every chance to stay in this game i mean it was a one score game for a long time they were getting pressure on bryce young just like lsu did uh, and they were making Alabama for a little while look like the team that everybody doubted early in the year. Yeah. And the offense couldn't do a damn thing. And I know that that's probably a personnel issue that LSU would theoretically not have. But at the same time, I was like, man, if you scheme up a couple a couple good plays, this could be a tie football game right now. And it's not. And they managed two field goals. And then all of a sudden, by the end, I mean, uh, Cincinnati's offensive line looked overwhelmed. Uh, yeah. Alabama's athletes were just getting to uh, the quarterback nonstop, and it was just it was over. But it's, but the whole time I was like, oh my god, if if there is one one or two plays that we we, we could do here from this new offensive coordinator, this game could be different. And then it didn't happen. And then he gets hired, and I'm like, I just saw this man do what LSU has done against Alabama for most of the last decade with another team. And now he's coming here. And it was like, it's, it it is this specific form of PTSD fan PTSD. I should clarify. So no, I, I, that's no, I think you nailed it. I mean, I can't argue that. I think the only thing I'd like, and by the way, I'm not even saying I feel this, this is more just me like stream of consciousness thinking. I'm not saying I, I believe this, but like the thing I go back to is early in that game though. Remember that first drive? Like they actually were moving the ball 
beautifully on Bama. Mm-hmm. And they should have scored a touchdown. That but those mm-hmm. two balls got tipped. And there were a lot of drives where I felt like he was doing good stuff on them. And honestly, I mean, I'm not I'm the last person I think you know to be like torch the player, but like Desmond Ritter did not have a good day. And of course, I think, you know, probably Denbrock didn't do some things to help him out, of course. But I feel like there were a lot of times where Ritter just missed some things that like actually were there. So I don't know. I, I don't think Denbrock called a great game, and I would be lying to you if I said that. But I also thought early like he was doing good stuff. They were moving and, and they just like the talent made the difference. And I don't know. So am I sitting I'm not that high on this hire, but I also get it. I also think Brian Kelly has a big say in an offense for what it's worth. So I think there's a little bit of them teaming up together that I think could work. And if you're looking for a positive, you know, LSU fans, you want your next big thing. The positive really for me, or at least the interesting thing to watch is pairing him with Joe Sloan as the, as the quarterback coach, Joe Sloan Mm -hmm. is 35. And I want to be clear. His offense was 92 in SP plus last year, Louisiana tech. So I'm not saying he was great or anything like that. Not lying to you, but, um, I, I do think he's a well-respected young coach who, who I think is pretty good. He was even kind of when, – when I remember when that firing happened, when um, when Skip Holtz got fired, people were saying like Joe Sloan might be in the running for the head coach job. So I do mm. think there is an element of he's probably a little overqualified to be LSU's quarterback coach. You're getting a really young guy to work with Denbrock. That seems like a not, – he's not like a pass game coordinator that I know of. you know. So it's not like I'm saying he's going to be their Joe Brady. But maybe he can learn and be the next in line. That's There is a theme in, in Brian Kelly's career of – of you know having Tommy Reese slide up to that job, or or Mike Elko slide up, I'm sorry, Clark Lee slide up to that DC job. So I, I think that's something to watch. And that's I'm not trying to go galaxy brain like it's a good hire because they're quarterback coach. God no, I'm just saying like that might be an interesting wrinkle. Is all I'm throwing out there is like you're mixing some young and some a little older. And again, Denbrock does have a lot of experience of being a good coach. It's just is he going to be the greatness to get you over the top? I don't know about that. Here's the read that I think LSU fans should take away is that first and foremost, we should trust Brian Kelly, proven winner, uh, has never really lost anywhere he's been. And the one time that he had a bad season, he cleaned house. And, you know, we, we've been over that four and eight season at Notre Dame. So I am uh, I'm choosing to trust Brian Kelly. But also I can already see that if the offense is underwhelming to start the year, it is going to be a sticking point that will become a drum beat if it performs poorly. And yeah. so we, we, the, the narrative is already, the, the tracks are laid. Um, and, and maybe, maybe that's really stupid. And LSU scores 50 plus in his first three games and then nobody cares. But I'm just saying that that seems because I assume that the defense is going to play well. I assume that Matt house is going to do a great job. Um, so we'll see that. I mean, we have our storylines already set, you know, no off season podcast needed, uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm choosing to trust. And it seems like Brian is, you know, he wants to hire people who can just straight up coach. So I trust them for now. Uh, we'll see how it goes. And we have a long time to see how that goes. Yeah. Uh, one last thing before we get to the bowl game, I, I think it's very interesting. And this is for a specific genre of LSU fan. Brian Kelly has let go of two LSU legend players who were in the building and on staff and Kevin Falk and Eddie Kennison. Um, I, I'm just, I'm just curious. Like I, I'm impressed with the balls of doing that because like no, no matter what, because I, I know I said last podcast, like I don't really care about them shedding people who were involved 
with 11 and 11 over the last two seasons, you know, get them all out the building. Who cares? But these are also players that the literally the first two players that I grew up loving playing for LSU who I don't know if they did a bad job or not, but I just think it takes some cojones to tell those two guys to hit the bricks <laughs> um, when you come into this program as a, a complete outsider. So can you give me your perspective on that? Or is that like he was, Brian was given carte blanche and that's what he chose. Like, have you heard well, anything on this front? Well, I'd go back to, I mean, we talked about this at length during the kind of staff reshuffling episode like three weeks ago. And I go back to that. It's just, I think it's just a little bit of, LSU had a bad culture, so you're a new coach coming in. You are going to need to redo the staff a lot, and a lot of that is getting rid of the guys who are a very ingrained part of that culture. And again, this isn't black and white. I think Kevin Falk is very good for the culture. Kevin Falk is, like, the man. Everyone loves And Eddie Kedison's the man, by the way. But Falk, I mean, and again, like, I think they brought in Frank, and Frank was probably – I've been told Frank didn't care what he coached. He would coach receivers, running backs, whatever he told him to do. But still, it just worked out where Frank's probably going to be the running backs coach. And Kevin Falk, I mean, as awesome of a dude as Frank Kevin Falk is, he didn't exactly have the best success with running backs in his two years. And I think there's a little bit of – they want, and for what it's worth, they didn't want to get rid of Kevin Falk. They wanted him to be the go back. I believe they offered him that kind of same role that Kennison had, the one that Falk had during the 2019 and 18 seasons, and he was amazing at it. That play, director of player development, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. And that's that was his strength. So I just think he was like, hey, I'm not going to go do that job again. He just kind of said, all right, I'll, I'll call it. But, and Kennison, Kennison's the man too, but for what it's worth, that seems like an area that's kind of been a flaw the last two years. So I think Kelly, just a lot of it is just kind of bringing in his own people for the culture aspect of the job. And honestly, Kelly gets a lot of flack, but I think that's something I, I've heard more positives about the negatives throughout his career. He's actually really good at thinking about the the mental health side of players and, and things like that. And he's good at kind of making those high, even though he's not the most involved in it, he's good at building a staff that's good at building that culture. So I don't know. I'm just saying like, I think people, I understand why people are emotional about it, but like, Frank Wilson came to probably replace Kevin Falk. That's not like who's really going to sit here and argue that dramatically. And also Eddie Kennison, director of player development. We're talking out of our ass if we can really like be like, yeah, he did a good mm-hmm. or a bad job there. We don't freaking know. But yeah. like the culture wasn't great. Sorry, kind of went on a tangent there. It's okay. I wanted that because I, I do think that is a very easy line to try out. Is like a uh, Midwestern new guy comes in and gets rid of LSU legends and um, – I think we we just needed to spell out the nuance there. We love yeah, nuance and listen, on this podcast. He needed to he needs to redo that building. Scott Woodward wanted someone who's going to redo that building. We talked about it before. Like they weren't going to look at a lot of the guys who like Dave Aranda because even though Dave they love Dave Aranda and Dave Aranda is awesome, but like because uh, they yeah, didn't want guys Dave's directly tied right to yeah they didn't want guys directly tied to the Miles and uh, Ogeron era. So like that's a huge part of this and. I mean, Kelly's already gotten rid of a lot of the beloved like support ladies and you know women who have you know have kind of been like stalwarts there behind the scenes for a long time. Operations women like they've got he's got rid of a lot of behind the scenes people there, and yeah, that's gonna that sucks. Like I I know a lot of those people. It's tough to see them losing their jobs, and it's a hard part of this. But at the same time, that's kind of what he was brought there to do. So you can't have both. Yeah, that's fine by me. Thank you for that. And that. I just feel like we needed to put that on record about why and how and what he's doing. So, I mean, like I said, like I, I think it takes a lot of balls to do that. And clearly he feels 
the uh, gravitas to do so. And that makes me confident that he knows what he's doing and he has confidence in what he's doing and that it'll translate to on-field success. Yeah, now, absolutely. let's move on to the, the last game of the technically non-Brian Kelly era. What the hell is going to happen tomorrow night? Whew, I mean, that I, I often say anyone who tells me, I, like, I feel like my catchphrase at times is if anyone who tells you they know is full of shit, well, this is the, the most I will ever mean that. This is the peak. <laughs> yeah, this is the peak of my catchphrase because, yeah, I mean, LSU is going into this game with, by my count, about 39 actually available scholarship players, which is mind-boggling. Like, just to, uh, for context here, in 2020, the number was, I think, 55 to be able to play during COVID. Like, and that was, you mm-hmm. know, and it was like a huge storyline that LSU beat Florida with, I believe, 51 or something like that players. Like, them being depleted, like, 50s was like, holy crap, they're screwed. 39, or I saw one other, 45, but I think a lot of those aren't actually available. You know what I mean? So, right. they're playing without any scholarship quarterbacks. Uh, from what I'm told, Garrett Nussmeyer is not playing in this game, uh, which is what we've expected for a while, but no one's come out and really said it. So I just, Well, uh, I feel like there was a couple weeks there where everybody was like, you know, Nussmeyer is going to get the exemption. Like, I had heard from some people, like, I mean, I'm not a reporter like you, but, you know, you hear from people who are around other people, yeah. and it's like, oh, they think he's going to get the exemption. And I was like... I don't really know why he would, but okay, sure. (laughs) And then, um, and then he, you know, it's the day before the game and he hasn't gotten it. So is John Trey Kirkland actually going to play quarterback? So honestly, yeah, probably. Uh, I think, no, I I mean, I think one of the walk-ons will be the starter would be my guess, but yeah, I've gotten some, I mean, whether it's Matt O'Dowd or or Tavion Falk, uh, Falk's always been listed higher and I always like heard his name more, but then you talk to some people and I can't tell if they're in the know or not, but like, or like Matt O'Dowd's going to be the guy. And I'm like, I'm not sure where you're getting that possibly true. I will defer. I've been off for two weeks, but, um, the thing is, sorry, I, I have been told by many people that like, yeah, you expect to see quite a bit of Wildcat, which is awesome because it's been the running joke for like, what, five years of the John Trey Kirkland era? Like, it's been nonstop. Yeah, yeah. Anytime a quarterback's hurt. He used anytime. to play quarterback. He played yeah, quarterback like, in high school. They're going to do more Kirkland? Like, and obviously, for, for reference, it's not in, it's real. Like, he threw for 7,500 yards and ran for 3,000 as quarterback at Lutcher. Like, he's a legend, won a 3A state title. Like, dude can play quarterback. But it's just yeah. funny that it's been like the almost like, the joke you so often, it's actually cringeworthy, and it actually seems pretty likely now. You are going to see some good Wildcat. So that's going to be fun. Honestly, like, I, I, like, I mean, I'm sure these walk-ons uh, have, are, practice hard. I'm sure they're good, and, and we'll see. Maybe, maybe one of them pops in this very meaningless bowl game that I don't think anybody is subscribing any worth to. Um, but at the same time, it's like, why don't we see what John Trey could do? And also, you know that Kansas State won't know what the hell to do with John Trey either because there's literally no tape exists of this offense with John Trey Kirkland at quarterback. <laughs> so, I mean, try your best. I don't know. I think I think it's kind of fun, especially for Oh, you the have Texas to just lean Bowl. into this whole thing. It's just like have fun with it. Anything else. Let's like, lean in. Yes. Yeah. You're 6-6 six and six in the Texas Bowl with 39 players and no scholarship Who cares? quarterback. Just have fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I mean, uh, I, I, I say we lean in. Uh, you know, I was looking at the uh, – speaking of callbacks, uh, Tavion Falk is related to Kevin Falk. I believe he's his yes, nephew. I, I believe he's nephew, yeah. Uh, yeah, the Falk family at this point is getting very I mean, ingrained with LSU considering Trev, obviously the former yeah. player, uh, Kevin, and then Trev's the coach at Lafayette Christian Academy. Um, and Is he so really? Been, oh, yeah. No, he's been there for a little while. Okay. And he, he's the guy who – 
Gots, I mean, for being honest, he's the guy who played a big part in Sage Ryan coming to LSU. Now they have two more okay. players, Fitzgerald West and Jordan Allen coming this year. So it's like the Falk connections really becoming ingrained here. Um, but anyway, LSU fans my age will. Uh, he he shared a linebacker backfield with Brady James, and they were awesome. And they were both they were, all Americans, cool. right? Yes, Falk they was were really good. That was that was that was early. That was early saving. Uh, they were oh, awesome. Geez, so I didn't that's cool. Would have been saving. Jeez. Yep. Uh, but yeah, so, and the only bummer, like, not that anyone's really coming here for, like, give me depth breakdown of the Texas Bowl, but the only problem with this is that, like, uh, the way to beat Kansas State is by beating them with the pass. Like, they have a pretty brutal, uh, like, they're yeah. 98th in passing success rate defensively, mm-hmm. like, one of, like uh, 120, yeah, like, they're, they're not good at pass defense, so you're kind of, elimin- and they're pretty good at run defense, so you're kind of eliminating your one good chance there, but like you said, there's no way to really prepare for what LSU's doing, so maybe that will open it up, but I do think we should just set the table for how depleted LSU is, because we haven't even really gotten to it, like we said 39 players, but it's rough, so De- the two yeah. best defensive players, Damone Clark and Neil Farrell, both are opting out for, um, obvious, for the, to go to the draft, so those are your... The two guys, like, you know, as much as you want to talk about, hey, LSU lost everybody and their defense actually played elite the final four games, which was accurate. It was kind of because Damone Clark and Neil Farrell played out of their mind to some extent. Those guys are gone. Cordell Flott yeah. is not on the depth chart, which I believe, uh, and I saw a report that he is opting out. So he, he is, you know, going to the NFL draft, which that's a big blow. That's tough for LSU. And we can get yeah. that in a future week. But. So they're, they're, so you're losing your two best defensive players. The secondary is just like, it's honestly bizarre to look at the depth chart. Like I recommend pulling up the tweets of the depth chart because it is. I'm I'm, I'm not going to know who all these guys are. No, like, that's it's incredible. It's okay. Yeah. Jay Ward's at safety. Yep, and it looks like mm-hmm. Todd Harris yeah. is listed as the starter at the other safety. Which okay. again, that's all a right. veteran, but he hasn't played this year like, at all. So that's still not. Yeah. That's still not really a starter. And at corner, it is wild. It is two your your two different nickels transfers who don't really play. Darren Evans and Pig mm. Cage are both starting mm. a nickel and corner. And then the other corner right now is Demarius McGee, a four star freshman who you know might be fine, but has not even like I've, I actually am not exaggerating. Sometimes as a reporter, it's worth just mentioning. I have not heard his name spoken <laughs> once to me, and like I just haven't heard it. Like it doesn't even come up. So now those are the starters right now. Sage Ryan is on there, but the fact that he's behind Pig Cage, probably, again, two rules to anyone listening to the show. Depth charts released by schools don't mean a damn thing. Like, they are just made up. It's only We're only bringing it up because the names that just literally aren't there. Because that actually mm-hmm. does tell you something. But either way, yep. the fact that Sage Ryan is consciously the backup probably means, like, he might not be really available. You know, I don't know. But... Right, And that safety, they do have most of the guys except Major Burns, so that's solid. But that secondary is going to be fascinating without all those guys, especially because it seems like Kansas State quarterback Skylar Thompson is actually going to play, which is, you know, they were 7-3 and three when Thompson went. Oh, that's, that, that, that's a bummer. <laughs> so, and we didn't even get, I was, like... I was really counting on him not playing. <laughs> yeah. And then a running back, the only Ty Davis Price opted out, and it looks like Armani Goodwin's unavailable, whether it be for COVID or academic. A lot of guys are out for different reasons. So the only two scholarship are Corey Kiner and Josh Williams. I mean, it's the offensive line. Marlon Martinez is listed as the backup at four different positions because, like, they have their starters are actually pretty much all there, but mm-hmm. like no depth behind it. Uh, Glenn Logan's not on there, which D line will be okay, but like that's another. But Mason Smith's back. That's huge. Either way. They are depleted more than it's, I even think I knew. Sorry, that was yeah, a long is, talk. No, 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 that, that was good. That was good. Is, is Cam Lewis not available? 
Now, thank you for mentioning that. No, Cam Lewis is not available, which I think six months ago someone would have said, who cares? But Cam Lewis has been really, really good this he year. He played really well. He really, really well in multiple positions. Nickel, outside corner a little bit. Safety. Like, he's good where, football where, player. Where is he? Is, he, is, it, is this COVID or is he You would have to assume. I mean, I, I, it's all speculating with a lot of these absences, but it would either be COVID or academic. Okay. Okay. Um, well, it's going to be fun. You know, I, I kind of forgot about Pig Cage because when he transferred, it's like, oh, there's a guy named Pig Cage on our team now. And now he's going to play. Yeah, it seems like it. Yeah, this All is... All name uh, award, Pig Cage. I mean, there's really no precedent for like a bold... Uh, anyone playing in a college football game at this level, this depleted. This, and I think LSU this, wanted it for a lot of reasons. Maybe the money a little bit. Maybe just like I think the bowl practices are invaluable mm-hmm. for a team, uh, yeah. especially a team in transition like this. But it's wild that it's getting played. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's interesting because I had to write a big thing this morning for the newsletter about uh, the swirling debate around bull opt-outs. And, you know, it's kind of the obnoxious level it reached over the weekend with Kirk Herbstreet and then Matt Corral getting hurt and all this kind of stuff. Um, but there is, and, you know, I, the, my point was that we should not besmirch anybody who opt out, opts out of anything. I mean, just to circle back to the front of the episode, look at Jamar Chase, who did not play an entire yeah. season. <laughs> And it did not affect him at all. Michael Parsons um, also. And, and, and he's doing – Michael Parsons, the other best rookie in the league, is looks like Lawrence Taylor out there and he didn't play at all. So um, I, I think that's all really dumb to, to blame guys. But on the other hand, like the Bulls are still – the ratings are still up. People still love the Bull games. Okay. And it's been it, – it has been fun to see LSU's like in-house media coverage of what they're doing and the, like the rodeo thing they did. And like, you can tell these bowls, I mean, the, the, I know the bowl practices are really important, but like, it's probably a great bonding time for these guys too. I mean, they're all going on a trip and it's, it's not a normal like business trip. Like they're, this is a bowl <laughs> game and they're all, they're all doing fun stuff. They're getting gifts and like they're practicing and, and, and I know they're probably practicing hard, but I, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be fun. I mean, maybe this kind of activates the sicko in me. But like seeing this depleted bowl game, like I have no idea what to expect, and that's exciting. Like if it was if, if it was gonna be this like, well, we'll we'll see if our normal formula works. Like, well, yeah. you know, I'd go in like nervous and like uh and then be aggravated every time they messed up. And now I'm gonna be like, Well, we tried our best and it's fun <laughs> and you know, maybe John Jay Kirkland throws a couple picks, but it's gonna be John Jay Kirkland at quarterback, so that's why I mean. No, exactly. And no, I think it's the right way to view it. And also, like, just to end, I, th- I think we're probably wrapping up, like, just to end on, like, the right way to view this game, let me give you the players to watch. And then some of these young guys that are getting chances they didn't get before. Watch Greg yes. Bennett, linebacker. He's currently listed as the starter. That's something to watch, man. I mean, we talked to Damone Clark about three weeks ago, I want to say, maybe a month ago. And Damone Clark, and there's a long history. I don't think there's any position in LSU more than linebacker. That's like There's just this tradition of like the guy breaks out as a junior, and he's taking someone else under his wing, and then he tells all the reporters, this guy's going to be a star. Mm-hmm. Like like Quan and yeah. all them did it for uh, – or not Quan, but uh, Duke Riley and all them did it for Devin White. Then Devin White went out of his way to do it for Queen and Damone. And then Queen did mm-hmm. it more for Damone. And now Damone – and Damone was like – Greg Penn is going to be an all-American here. Like he said it with like he's like he was like the thing where he's like, guys, stop. Actually, hear me on this. Like he was so intense yeah. about it. Penn was a big, a pretty solid recruit. Um, so watch him today. That's gonna it's tomorrow. That's gonna be a fun thing to watch. Corey Kiner is pretty much the only like major running back available. Had a solid freshman year, but like you know, mm-hmm. it, was, it was wasn't the starter. Watch him. He's gonna get a bigger chance. You've been watching the freshman receivers for weeks, but still like. 
that's enough more time for them to break out. I think that's just what you got to do. Watch Mason Smith be the star of the D line to some extent. Uh, yeah. Watch, yeah. So I, I just think that's how you have to. Also, Mike Jones. Mike Jones kind of yeah. came on as the year went on. Once they went to more of a he true four-three, he looked really good down the year. He'll obviously be starting at this point. So I just think you have to just reframe your brain and think of it that way, like you said. And 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 the other thing is like. It's not like this is a ragtag bunch of LSU going up against <laughs> a titan of college football. Like, well, yeah, well, I mean, I know Kansas State is good, but but they also made the Texas Bowl. Uh, just just as it indicates how mediocre LSU's been, that they made the Texas Bowl. So it's it's going to be this like scrap fight. I'm 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 actually very excited about it now, and I'm excited to see the young guys. I mean. I love that Malik Neighbors is there. I love. I know you tweeted today that Brian Thomas made it, and, and Jack Besh both are going to be there now. Um, yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, one, one aside, are you surprised at all that Ty Davis Price left for the NFL? Um, how do I put this? Uh, uh, you're trying to be nice. You are slightly surprised. I'm surprised. No, uh, I'm saying I wonder if he wouldn't have been available. You know what I mean? Uh, and again, that is classic 45-minute mark in the pod like speculation. But I wonder if he wouldn't have been available. So then you kind of say, I'm opting out. You know you know what I mean? Uh, no, no, no. I, I, I'm less than that. That, that. That's fine. But like, are you surprised he's leaving? Well, I think that probably is connected to that same thing. You know what I'm saying? To, uh, to, to maybe the coach that they maybe, okay. Or maybe, I don't know. Maybe like there's a reason that he's ineligible i don't know but yeah i'm surprised um i think there probably is a little bit of yeah new coach like you know maybe there's a like davis price is somebody who i think really won the staff over but there were times earlier in his career where he was kind of a frustrating presence for the staff so i don't know Uh, i don't mean to like like rip on the guys he's on his way i mean he was he was awesome this year let's like i i get it and i and i know i I believe he has a young daughter yes Um, he does i know he has young families so like I get that's it. A big, he was, that was in the message to his his letter he wrote. Yeah, the daughter's was, probably and, and, and he was great. It's just that you know, I, I guess I was kind of in my mind counting on him being back next year because I who knows what's going to happen with John Emery. I, I hope John Emery is is there and playing, but you know he didn't play this year. And um, so I'm I'm just I wish Tyron Davis Price well. I, I hope that it goes well for him. I was just slightly surprised that he declared, but um, you know, I. He he holds a special place in my heart as a fan for this last year because he uh, delivered a lot to some big unexpected wins in a, in a bad time. So uh, wish him the best. I, I was just a little surprised by that. I didn't know if that was a surprise to people inside the program either. Um, yeah, that's why I wanted to ask that. No, and so Corey, I, I have no idea what his draft stock is. I can't imagine it's great. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a, it's a tough time to be a running back in the NFL, you know, in the modern era. So I'm sure he'll get some runs somewhere, but who knows? So anyway, Corey Kiner, we're gonna see a lot of spin moves. We're gonna see a lot of uh, I don't know. I'm excited He's to see a Corey thick Kiner. Dude, he can run people over too. Like Corey Kiner's awesome. I know. I just I just love all those little spin moves early in the year. He's nifty with it. It's just so, so it's it, you know I'm looking at this depth chart right now. It's interesting that Garrett Nussmeyer is still QB one on there. Yeah, again, uh, one, depth charts released by a team, RBS, never listen to them. <laughs> Two, um, I think he's on the trip, so I think it's a little bit of like optics, you know, a little bit of like yeah. trying to keep interest in the game, trying to keep Kansas mm-hmm. State on their toes. I think there's a few elements in that. Like even like the the, the Wildcat stuff, like I had one, so I have to be like, keep that in the down low. I obviously did not follow through on that, but still like I th- <laughs> they're, they're trying go. to actually like keep that secretive, so like 
you know, I think they're trying to put up fake optics. Uh, sorry if we blew up your spot, OSU. <laughs> oh, well. I think everybody's I mean, assumed this for a month, right? Also, yeah, everybody's talked about it for a month before now. So I'm sure that I'm sure somewhere exactly. in Manhattan, yeah. Kansas, some Lutcher football tape has been put on a projector <laughs> at least for a few I really minutes. hope so. Yeah. Big day for Lutcher. Uh, yeah. I mean, t- tape grinders over there. So, um, no, I mean, I, it, I'm excited. It's going to be so weird. I mean, um, are you going to be there? I am not. I was planning on being there and then kind of, yeah. Both because of, you know, cases rising and whatnot and just totally available access not being great right now because of that. We just decided uh, I'm going to be watching from home. That's fine. That's good. So, um, well, I'm excited for it. Uh, it's a late game. 8 p.m. Central kick, 9 Eastern. Um, I hope we can all stay up for it. But I, I hope I hope we see some fun stuff. Absolutely. Man. Do you have, do you right, have what's, any what's feeling? Yeah, I was gonna say. Do you have? I I don't have a prediction. I, I want you to talk, and I'll think about my prediction. Do you have any prediction at all? Yeah, I I think it's gonna be tough for LSU. I mean, I I would predict Kansas State wins this one by a score or two, mainly just because like the best chances LSU have happen to match up with you know like the the strengths and weaknesses don't match up well. Where it's like, okay, LSU's only real chance is probably getting really creative with the running game. Well, Kansas State is a good run defense, or like, hey, you know. Kansas State's biggest strength is this run game. Well, a month ago, I would have said LSU's run defense is fantastic. But now you lost, like, your two best run defensive players. And it's like, I don't really know how good the run defense is going to be without Farrell and Clark. You know, all these things. And then you add in the brutal secondary with Thompson playing. Just all of that, it just doesn't feel like it goes well. So I think I take it. You know, I would take Kansas State and lay the four and a half or whatever it is. Okay, fine. All right. I Then I will reverb off of that because of uh, I, don't, I don't like that thought. And also... I'm going to opt for the narrative that Jake Peets is unloading the clip because he's auditioning for another job. And let's get weird. Let's pass the ball a lot. We have all, I mean, if it, is it, is it fair to say that LSU's most stacked position still on this depth chart now with all the people gone is wide receiver? Yes. I think that's probably right. And even I'm, that's, I mean, true I look freshman. on, the, I look on the top line I know they're true freshmen, but like, Brian oh, yeah, Thomas flashed this year. Malik Neighbors flashed this year. John J. Kirkland is a wide receiver if he's not playing quarterback. Jerry Jenkins had the game of his life against oh, Texas A&M. Jerry Jenkins is very good, yeah. Like, no, yeah, I think receiver's probably the most talented area. Now, I mean, it, we'll see who's playing quarterback. Uh, or D-line. But still, let's let's get creative. It's one game. It is a technically meaningless game. And I think LSU might struggle a little bit. But let's go... LSU 27, Kansas State 21. It's going to be real dumb. It's going to be real fun. Uh, but Tigers win. I love it. All right, go for it. Have fun with it. Uh, all right, Brody. Well, let's say bye to everybody. Uh, we will – let's recap the bowl game. You want to do a two-pod week? Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, I'm kind of making it into like I mean, a looking and, forward piece. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll really lay the roadmap for the offseason after that and, and get into the nitty-gritty from there. But um, – yeah, this has been fun, as usual, Brody. Um, yeah, anything else to say to the audience before we leave? <laughs> no, man. Great pod. Uh, thanks for listening, guys, after a little hiatus. Thanks for being patient with us, and we will talk to you later this week. All right, guys. All right, guys.